This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. Today, listeners, we have a treat especial for several reasons. First and foremost, my co-hosts. Uh, reason enough to celebrate. Say hello to Eric Sneeders. Hello, world. Welcome with open arms, newbie Tucker Daggermond. Hello, hello. Uh, you win for best name. And wave shyly <laughs> at Sanjeeva Wearasing. Hello. I, I have no idea if I pronounced that. <laughs> yeah, that was correct. I, all right. Man, I'm good. <laughs> I'm never that good. But that's not all. Okay. Brace yourselves. Part two of our special treat is that we not only have one, but two listener questions to address, um, which is very exciting. So a little format break. We're going to do both questions today. We're going to start off with our first question. And to help us answer that question, I've asked Dr. Maya Lopez to join us via the internet. Dr. Lopez is a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland and the associate director of its Forensic Psychiatry Fellowship Training Program. Hello, Dr. Lopez. Hello. Is it all right? I'm, I, so, Dr. Lopez, I have known you since you were a wee medical student. <laughs> so I'm going to call you Maya. I hope that's okay. Of course it is. Oh, it's very sweet. Um, you could also call me Stephanie, which is my other first name. <laughs> now, now, wait a minute. But okay. I'm, I'm not used to people with more than one first name. That's just, you know. Last week on the show, uh, Maya, Stephanie, we had Dr. Tom McNally join us, um, one of your classmates, um, to help us answer a question from Courtney about parents going to medical school. Uh, he, of course, represented the dads. Um, she was really interested in moms, but, you know, I didn't have your contact information. Although I have to say, you and Tom and your, actually your class were among the first people I thought of because back then you were sort of among I don't know a group of shall we say non-traditional students is that correct absolutely I feel like you had more non-traditional students than uh than many classes did well I think that's true and and in the previous podcast Tom said Non-traditional is code for uh, uh, superannuated. Yes, I learned, I learned a new word. <laughs> but um, but I would also add that it was a very non-traditional class in terms of ethnicity and where people were from around the country and life experience. Yeah. It was really an amazing group of students. Yeah. So that you, so as 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 with Tom, you graduated way back in two thousand four, and you entered medical school. How old were you when you entered medical school? I was 33 years old. 33. You had children at the time. I did. I had a two and a half year old mm -hmm. kid and a five year old who was just entering kindergarten this year I was entering medical school. Super young. So I think we have established your qualifications to answer this question from Courtney. <laughs> Let's hear from Courtney. 
I am working on my bachelor's degree in health sciences at a small college in rural Oklahoma right now. I have about two years or experience both as an assistant and scrub assistant. I have always thought I would go back to nursing school but after 10 years of working with nurses, and my brief time in the OR, I know I want to be a doctor. I need to be in an OR for at least some of my time, and I am willing to put in the effort to get there, even if that's not for another 15 years. That being said, I have three kids and a wonderfully supportive husband. I know that at some point we will have to move because of my education or career. I question whether or not I really can accomplish this because I am 26 and I feel like most people who will become doctors are applying for med school at my age. I guess my question is, am I too old to begin this journey? And when you read the little background I've provided, is your first thought, oh yeah, that will never happen lady or is it more, it will be hard, but not impossible. I value your opinions and appreciate the witty humor and realistic but informational advice you give. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing back from you. What do you think, Dr. Maya? Can she can she do it, or is she breaking the laws of thermo, thermodynamics or physics or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> well, that it's impossible is not my first thought, second thought, third thought, or 30th thought. Good. Um, it is. It is possible. Not only is it possible, it is desirable. I always felt like the lucky one being the older parent in medical school and residency. Um, my two children could pour their own cereal, which <laughs> <Uh-huh>. <laughs> is quite a bit different than having a baby in residency yeah. who uh, is this helpless little thing that can't even get from one room to another independently. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so I was very, very lucky. And so when I saw my colleagues getting ready to have children and having children and having to stay up all night with a crying child or a sick child, uh, when I was already through that most intense period of parenting, uh, I, I got sleep at night. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes. So, so there's a relative benefit there. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, in, in terms of, you know, parents who are having kids in medical school versus parents who already have medical yes. uh, kids in medical school. Um, did you, so did you have the same thoughts as, um, Courtney, when you were preparing for this, or did you just know, like, oh yeah, I can do this? Um, well, I I'm probably not like the typical medical school applicant because I tend toward the reckless. I just yeah. went, well, I'm just going to do it, and if I can't do it, I'll have to stop. Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, because I had I I just had this idea in my head that. That's what I was going to do, and I didn't really question whether I couldn't do it. I figured some some way the universe would just let me know if I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, you know. So, um, what was so in the end? What was it like in general working through med school with kids? Well, so one thing I really keyed in to on Courtney's question was uh, her comment about having a, a very supportive spouse and I cannot possibly um, overestimate just how much having a supportive spouse during my time in medical school and residency was. It was amazing and it was also a big challenge because going into it, my husband and I had been married for quite a while already um, and he said, yes, I will be supportive. 
the ensuing eight years tested that <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I'll just, you know, I'm just going to lay it out there because it's one thing in your head to have this idea about what supportive means. But when your medical school or resident spouse is away for 36 hours in a row and you have sick children and a dentist appointment and your own work or whatever, um, supportive looks like a different thing. Mm. Um, but I would say, I, I talked to my husband about this last night. We reflected on this in preparation for this um, podcast. Ooh, so, wow. I, and I'm he, glad to hear that somebody prepares for this show. <laughs> uh, it wasn't me. Yeah, it was, <laughs> He said unequivocally that he regrets nothing uh, and that he is... He was very happy to have done all that he did. Um, and so we got through it. I mean, and not only did we get through it, but I would say those eight years are among the most enjoyable period of my life um, for many reasons. Oh, because I think having children in a family enhanced my experience in medical school. It didn't detract from it. You know, one of the things that Tom touched on last week that I, I, I didn't uh, think to bring up was how much outside, you know, how much support from outside your family you had. And Tom said that, you know, you guys shared a lot of, um, you know, as families, you shared a lot of, uh, you, you helped each other out uh, from time oh. to time. So that's another piece that I was reflecting on uh, about last night because – so what Tom didn't tell you is we had met before medical school at uh, a get-together function that the, the school um, hosted before mm -hmm. the year started. Yeah. And we liked each other so much we decided to live in the same neighborhood. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and we said, we're going to need each other. And so uh, my husband and his wife, Julie, also got along and um, we got uh, houses about maybe eight blocks away from each other mm -hmm. or less. Um, and we just immediately teamed up. We said, none of this, none of us could do this alone. Um, and so we, we shared childcare. We, you know, again, like Tom and I said, we studied together. Um, and then there was another family that lived around the corner from us uh, that we met um, because our children in the same elementary school. And we teamed up too, because that was a couple both pursuing their graduate degrees. Uh, this is not something a person does alone. Uh, and I would argue that medical school isn't anything anyone does alone, regardless of family status. Um, but having other people there who are going through what you're going through and who are willing to just be flexible and help, you know, people who can help each other out was really a cornerstone of how I got through. Did you have any animals at home along with the animals that aren't where your children? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would argue that the animals we had were actually more uh, independent and functional than my children. <laughs> we did. We had a we had a, an English mastiff and oh a tuxedo God. cat. <laughs> oh, cool. But, um, yeah, you know, and I just kind of joined the family because, you know, when you have small kids, adding some pets really isn't that big of a deal. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, and, and that was actually a really useful tool for meeting other families because when you're walking this 
hundred pound giant dog down the street, all the little kids want to come and pet it. And that's actually how we met the other family that we teamed up with uh, during those years. Uh, you know, the, the, what you just said brings up a point for me, which is that, you know, so despite the fact that every week I sit down and do this podcast and like speak, you know, cast our, our voices into the, into the ether, um, I'm actually a kind of a, an introvert, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't really, I, you know, I don't make friends easily and I don't, um, you know, put myself out there socially a lot. Do you, do you think that might be a liability if you're, if you're in this situation? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I know. Uh, wow. So I, I, I think it makes it more challenging, certainly, but, uh, my husband is actually an introvert and he was as involved in my medical experience as I was, mm. um, in many ways. And it was a little harder for him because when Tom and Julie, who, if you haven't met them, they're uber extroverts. Yeah. And when they came bouncing up to my husband, he's like, do I really want to spend the next four to six years hanging out with these See, that's my default. That's my default for every social. I'm like, did you just talk to me? Because that means you're crazy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, But, you know, he kind of threw himself into it anyway. Yeah. And in the end, he really enjoyed it. But I do think that that I wouldn't call it a liability, but you got to account for it. Certainly. Um, You know, because it might be a little more challenging to find that help and support. So, you know, there's this whole uh, life of the college thing um, that we talk about, you know, things like extracurricular activities and, and, um, you know, you're, we, we have these learning communities here at the college of medicine, um, through which many activities happen. Were you able to get involved in stuff like that? Or did you pretty much just stick to your family and study and your, and your, the few friends that you made? Well, you know, I wasn't going downtown or to football games, you know, staying out late, uh, like some of my other younger colleagues, Mm -hmm. but I, but I did socialize a fair amount. And again, I think part of that, we had, um, a student body that was really diverse in so many ways. Um, so that I ended up socializing with a lot of different kinds of people. Um, I actually did most of my studying at school because I did not want to do as much at home because Mm. I wanted to be accessible when I was home. Um, and so, and I also just found that I studied more efficiently when I was away from home. Um, yeah, there's probably something about studying with, uh, two, small children nearby that would be uh yeah yeah Yeah. they don't understand that their immediate need is not something you're going to address when you're sitting there so so i did get to um participate in um some extracurricular activities and i had a really full social life um while at the med school and i've made lifelong friends and not just friends that were my age or older but i've remained close friends with uh students that are are significantly younger than me. Mm. Um, and it, because you forge bonds in medical school, regardless of, you know, what your demographics are there. You, if you're not forging bonds, you're not doing it right. Um, and, and so I would say that I was able to do everything I wanted to. Um, yeah. That's, that's good. Cause I, you know, one of the things I tell these guys, if they will let me, 
<laughs> if they will, if, if, yeah, if they give me even the slightest chance is don't come to medical school and like put your head down and just study because yeah. you will, I mean, first of all, and, and there are people who do that. I'm sure you guys have classmates that you never really see. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, but I always like to say, you know, get involved to the extent that you can, um, make an effort you know, meet people, do the, for just for instance, the podcast as often as possible, whatever, whatever activity, <laughs> it doesn't have to be the podcast, but whatever activity it is that you do, um, do it. And if you have something that you came in with doing, do that as well, because don't, you can't just, I mean, med school could take over your life. Um, and that's, you know, nobody, nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. as much fun as it is you know you got to be well-rounded or it's, it's gonna crush you eventually wait 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 whoa whoa whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay maybe not you good. said fun there the learning part can be fun yeah it should be fun good. it can be miserable right yeah, good yeah well you know it's not always fun but <laughs> i'm glad I it was fun yeah did you Oh yeah, yeah. Did you, I mean, okay, so hard. here's the other question: Did you honor? I, maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm giving away your. I, I don't know the answer to this, so you can you can tell me this is not appropriate, Dave. <laughs> did you honor every course? Did you honor? Did you feel great not. about your grades <laughs> as a parent? <laughs> as, as a parent, uh, you know, as somebody who is doing this other thing besides med school, like being a parent, did you feel like you? Um, had to get honors or did you were you just like no i'm just gonna you know p equals md that's that's what i'm doing here well i tried to honor every class mm -hmm. and i i didn't i did respectably well um but i i didn't have that expectation that i would honor every class mm -hmm. um i was not a p equal md person either though okay um i just definitely wanted to do as well as i could and that kind of circles back around to what you said about med school taking over your life yeah. um it, it kind of did um, for a while, and my husband was the clever one. He's the one who said, well, let me bring a picnic basket and dinner with the kids to you at the med school. Mm -hmm. And so I would take these little breaks, you know, and the kids would play on the lawn and the sun would be setting and I'd be studying. But I would take a break, even if it was 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. My family met me literally where I was at. Mm. Um and it really, even now, he he has fond memories of doing that, um, and I do too. And it, it really made me remember that I can't let med school take over, and maybe I won't honor every class, but I'll still do pretty well. And I did. So it all worked out. Um, so that's one arrangement you made with, um, with your husband. W were there other specific arrangements that you, or did you have to make special attempts or special effort to, you know, communicate more than you might otherwise have, or you did before you went to med school? Uh, yes. So there is a lot of special effort and communication. Um, because when your head is in med school space so much, 
it's really hard to shift gears and talk to a spouse about some stressful parenting decision you have to make. But then again, shift (laughs) gears to like, oh, now let's go have fun. Oh, wait a minute. We need to talk about household chores. Oh, no, let's go have fun. It's date night, you know. And on top of all of this, wow, I'm, you know, in med school and I'm trying to make sure I pass my, Mm. you know, pathology exam or whatever and um and that gets really stressful and so we we worked extra hard over time to kind of say okay we're going to have our family business conversation you know and we're going to get that out of the way and we're not going to do it when we're like out on a date night or something like that or just trying to relax um because when you're gone so much all this stuff gets stored up and so you come home and spouse is like I want to hang out with you and have fun. Oh, wait a minute. I have all this business stuff to talk to you about. And you're just like, wait a minute. I've been on this onslaught of stuff, especially in residency, onslaught of interpersonal interactions, interactions all day long. And I come home and there's more, Um, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's really, it was overwhelming. And so we figured it out though. Again, we would sort of reserve times or, you know, give each other the heads up. And um, it, it definitely puts communication uh, to the test. Um, but you know, I would say that being a parent at any, regardless of whether you're in med school or not, being a parent puts that stuff to the test. You um, know, I, I feel like, a I, I could never go to med school. Okay. And the reason is because, so my wife and I, we have one car and I would say 85% of the time, we can't even communicate to the point where we can share this car <laughs> without, or, you, you know, so like it's your turn to pick up the, I thought it was your turn uh, to pick up the children. Uh, well, we're 45 minutes late now. Um, maybe you should, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like uh, it, to, to pile on, I mean, my intellectual capabilities aside to pile on med school on top of that would just be it, the world would explode. <laughs> Well, well, that actually reminds me of when uh, in the previous podcast, uh, someone was talking about it may be different for a mom in med school uh, uh-huh. versus a father. Yeah. And and also like, you know, the, the role that the father has to take on that's non-traditional. Yeah. And, and that when Tom was talking about me and my husband, Phil, yeah. um, Phil went full on uh quote unquote military wife we didn't have to negotiate the kinds of things you were talking about because he just said i'm gonna take care of everything oh say i'm i'm not kidding i I can't i can't do that i'm a jellyfish okay so nobody's asking me to shut up dave (laughs) he just he just took it all he just took it all and um phil good for him yeah. Maybe I'm, and it was yeah. it was very hard for him because he came from a military macho background uh-huh. and uh, with a father who couldn't even like have a conversation with him because he didn't know what to talk to about with his son who is now a stay at home mom. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, it was, it was very awkward. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in the end, you know, my kids are utterly devoted uh to their father in a way that i i just rarely see who do they run to when they need help even now as adults they run to him um are you glad about that or are you sad oh no i'm glad about it they they, (laughs) well they come to me but you know they they but 
you, I'm glad that they had the kind of father who could just really break through that barrier mm -hmm. um, and who they can just utterly trust mm -hmm. at any time. Uh, so, yeah. And, it, and it goes back to what does support mean, too, you know, because you can say, oh, I'm going to support my spouse through medical school and residency. But it looks different when yeah. you're really having to negotiate all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You get it. I mean, eventually you find out what that really means. Yeah. 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 Do you remember any, I, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer because I know you probably have things to do. Were there any particular rough spots uh, that you can, that you can remember that relate to, you know, uh, the, the challenge of being a mom while in medical school? Not so much, not so much for me, but for my husband. Um, and it, it's actually kind of a really it's kind of a funny story. He'd gotten so used to not having me around for things when he needed knee arthroscopy. <laughs> uh, he made the appointment, didn't tell me about the appointment. And then the <laughs> night before, the night before, he says, I'm going to take the CAM bus to the hospital for arthroscopy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he shows up for his arthroscopy. And they said, so do you have a responsible adult um, at home? <laughs> and he just looked the doc in the eye and said, yes. And he went home. And uh, he called the Horace Mann Elementary for our then fifth grader to come home early from school <laughs> to be the, the responsible adult. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I didn't find out about it till I came home that night. <laughs> That's awesome. But it was rough because I, really, I realized, you know, in that moment that he had gotten so accustomed to not being able to ask me for anything. He forgot. Uh, he forgot <laughs> he, he could forgot. do that. He forgot to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> and he took the cam bus home and back from arthroscopy yeah well you know you got to do what you get when then you got knee surgery that's a, you got to do what you got to do i didn't even want to take the cam bus this morning yeah <laughs> so yeah but i you know I have no regrets. Yeah, it was rough, but um, a surgery residency is probably going to be rougher than a psychiatry residency. Uh, but, you know, I I think it's possible. I saw women uh, do surgery residencies and have babies at the same time. I know nurses who went through residency uh went to med school at mm -hmm. Iowa. Um, so all of those things are, are not only possible, but I would say she should do it. Sounds like a sounds like a big endorsement for uh, for Courtney. Um, Courtney, I hope uh, I hope that Tom and Maya Stephanie have helped, uh, and that we have helped answer your question. Um, and and I want to thank you so much for um, sending it to us. It's been a really interesting um, topic to get into, and uh, it's been fun to reconnect with Tom and and uh, and Maya and 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 just hear from these guys again. Thanks. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. Well, thank you. BT Dubs, listeners. That's me being uh, being young and, and cool. Buffalo Wild Wings? Buffalo. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to mention once again that on the day the show is released, Thursday, February 15th from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m., you can visit with Kate and Dan of our admission staff at the AAMC's Virtual Medical School Fair, where you can ask questions, get them answered by people who know things about getting into our medical school and others. Hopefully you're listening early enough in the day to take advantage of this. Registration is free, so head on over to theshortcoat.com slash AAMC 
to get hooked up with that. Our second listener question this week is from a listener who's worried that it's worried about the debt that medical students often incur. Uh, he didn't leave his name, so I'm going to call him Clovis. <laughs> Great name. Wow. Well, you know, Creative. that's what I thought. Uh, let's listen to Clovis's question. Hello, Short Code Podcast. Hello. Uh, I'm calling um, because I wanted to ask about a subject that I haven't really heard a ton about anywhere, really, um, specifically financial aid for medical school. Uh, right now, it seems like my only options going forward are to accrue a scary amount of debt or answer the military. <laughs> uh, are there any other options for financing medical school other than those two? Um, hoping to hear more about this topic. Thanks for your help. Well, Have I'm, a wonderful day. Well, oh, thank you. We will. Thank you. <laughs> I, I am hoping to hear more about this topic, too, which is why I have asked our financial services uh, debt counselor, I guess you could call him. He's got some <laughs> other term, but I think of you as the debt counselor. Uh, Chris Rowling uh, to join us once again. Howdy, Chris. Hello. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. Clovis is a little worried, though. <laughs> um, are those Clovis's only two choices? Uh, extreme debt or the military? <laughs> uh, those are not actually his only choices. Okay. So, you know, they're two very popular ones, but... Uh... Well, maybe not the extreme debt. I, think, <laughs> I don't know if the extreme debt would be popular. Well, but, you know, uh, it depends on I came to medical school. <laughs> Define popular. It depends on who you are. Yeah. So, yeah, there's lots of different options out there. You know, I mean, some people go the route of just paying the loans off, but others look at other, you know, avenues like, uh, you know, you mentioned going in the military, which has great benefits for paying off your loans. There's also, um, like, Iowa has a rural repayment program where they'll pay up to 200000 of your loans over the course of five years you know yeah. with a service commitment do you happen to know how many states have that sort of thing i mean most of them do i feel like most of them do yeah too um um okay yeah loan for loan forgiveness programs and and typically you're in these case in, in these situations you're sort of bargaining you're trading i guess you could say a, f a couple few years of your life doing something somewhere where you might not where they might need that sort of help in that state so rural places maybe inner city places stuff like that correct that's correct you know they're trying to draw people to those areas where they need attention and they're really needing doctors there so. yeah there's a lot of uh medical deserts um especially in a place like iowa very rural mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. state where you know there's a maybe there may be uh a a towns with a lack of primary care physicians or even other kinds of physicians okay so loan forgiveness programs and there's lots of them out there, not just the rural, you know, ones. There's also ones for, you know, people going into primary care. There's National Health Service Corps. You know, they'll, for a three-year commitment, you can get like 120000 towards your... Yeah, I was just reading about that one, too, because uh, Lisa Weir suggested um, suggested it as a possibility. So, yeah, as you say, they like, can earn up to $120,000. Um, they commit to serving three years, at least three years, at an approved site in a what they call a health professional shortage area. Just, you know, there are options like that. But the thing is, you can also control your debt while you're in school. And we try to preach that as much as we can. You know, we want you to live like a college student while you're in med school so that you don't have to do that later. We don't want you living like that later. So, mm -hmm. you know, any chance you can, you know, a lot of people don't realize you can return some of your loans. If you get to, you know, you get to the end of the semester and you still have extra loans, why not return them? Reduce the principal. If it's within 120 days of disbursement, will the interest will get canceled as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Is that common? A lot of students 
are very good about returning loans. Oh, okay. It's, it's highlight of my days when someone says, I have too much loans, what do I do with it? Okay. We'll, we'll return them for you. <laughs> and it, why, why, how does that, why does that happen? I mean, don't, I don't know how students get their loans. Do you guys, how do you get your, I mean, does a check just show up in the mail one day and it's for some random amount that could be more or less than you need? <laughs> I, I don't understand. Well, um, the way I do it is it's, mo it's basically all online now. So um, I'll look at my estimated cost for the year, figure out what I'm going to put into that this year personally, and then subtract that off the top, figure out what I want, email Chris usually, and then he <laughs> does the rest for me. And um, at the start of the semester, I ch it's not even a check anymore. They just directly deposit it mm -hmm. into your bank account, which is really nice. So, um, but thank, I know you for, thank you for bringing the old man into the 21st <laughs> century. But I know how much there is, and I can track it. And if there's excess, I can return it. So in my day, when we went to school, you know, a, 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 a man in a tuxedo and a monocle <laughs> came up and said, "Here you go, son. Here's your check for school. Enjoy." <laughs> Should try that out sometime. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. But so. sometimes it's overestimated. Basically, is what you're, is what you're saying, Chris. Right? And yeah, there's a lot of times extra money that you probably don't need you could definitely cut down on some things and there's two ways to, you know to do it some people will reduce their loans ahead of the semester which kind of forces them to live in that uh budget and some will just wait till the end of the semester oh, i have extra money i should give it back mm -hmm. so you know either way okay any any other resources that you want to that you want to mention i always you know look for scholarships any opportunity you know anything you're getting free you're not paying interest on in the long run always look for those you know i know at uh, carver college of medicine we do send out emails periodically Hey, there's a scholarship here. I encourage you to apply for it. And I really do. It's any, you know, a lot of them only require an essay or something like that. Mm -hmm. so. You know, I was um, talking with Mark Mubarak about this question. You sort of uh, touched on it, but um, I did want to mention a little bit more about this uh, for Clovis. Um, so Mark's take on it was that he isn't all that worried about the debt. Um, and Mark, you have to understand, he's... He's into the financial, he's into financial information. He's into understanding his finances and as much as he can. So he's been thinking about this real hard. So the thing that he wanted to, that he would have wanted to say if he could be on the show, I think, is that it's kind of, while it's understandable that med students are very concerned about having, you know, all this debt, in the end, it may not be that big a deal. Now, your mileage may vary, but if you're going to exit your residency with a starting salary, and, and Merritt Hawkins' 2017 salary report says that the average starting salary of a family physician is $213,000, okay? Mm -hmm. So, that, and that doesn't include things like signing bonuses or other recruitment incentives. So, you could take a huge chunk of that and set it aside for your loan repayments if you still have loans. Um, so instead of increasing your standard of living to include things like, you know, new cars and, and bigger houses or things like that, um, continue to live like a resident and pay off your debt in just a few years. I mean, I, you know... I could see living on $100,000 and setting aside $113,000 to pay off my loans every year. That doesn't seem like that big a stretch. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. Am I, am I missing mm -hmm. something? I mean, when, you, when you've been living on, what, negative like $70,000 for the last four years, <laughs> I think you can get by by. 
I mean, I can with a hundred. Right? Yeah. I have a lot of fourth year students who will often say, you know, I'm used to living like this. I can keep it going for a few years and it's a smart move. Yeah, know? it really is. Yeah. I mean, it, he felt like you could really like easily if, with, if you're smart about it, you can easily pay off your debt in only a few years, like five, six years, you know, if you're smart about it. So when you become a resident, keep living like a student. You're not going to have time to do anything anyway. So, <laughs> you know, keep the beater of a car. Uh, keep, you, you know, s- s- you know, go ahead and keep the Netflix subscription. You might want that once in a while. But, you know, other than that, don't upgrade your lifestyle. Don't go like, okay, now I can have a house because I'm making 55 a year. Um, you could do that, but you don't have to do that. That's really important is keeping the debt level lower in uh, residency. Don't build up credit card debt. Don't get, get the expensive car. Don't dig your hole deeper while you're in residency because it's going to make it harder to dig it out afterwards. So Yeah. Um, I will counter that, though, because there are, I mean, people want to start families and, and do that while they're in residency. That's a good point. And that point. can incur costs, too. So sometimes there are costs that you just have to. Look. Just as soon as your children get old enough, (laughs) make them go and sell newspapers in the, uh, (laughs) on the, on the mean streets of whatever city. Now we're exploiting our our kids to pay for school. Get them involved in research studies at your local college. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Make them pay for themselves or what? Yeah. I mean, you know. How early can they start donating plasma? Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. My son looks a little dry today. (laughs) Um, No, yeah, and there's other things too. Like if you get a residency in a city like San Diego, you're going to be paying a lot. You're going to be paying a lot of money. I mean, so you know that that is something that is under your control. I mean, you can always think about not applying to live, not applying to programs that are in these places that have you know Mm -hmm. high costs of living. Anybody here from California? Uh, no, I have a relative in you, San Francisco who's you, in medical school and she was just saying that the property prices are just ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. Um, you know, I to the extent that that is controllable, maybe look at not doing that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Come to somewhere like Iowa and get a great education and then it's Cheap, yeah. Are right? you from Are you from Iowa, Tucker? No, I'm from Colorado. Okay, but it's, Colorado? I mean, considerably cheaper here than in Colorado. Is it really? Okay, that's for yeah. sure. One of the things I noticed too is, whereas the cost of living might be higher in some of those cities, the starting residency salary is not that different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you are in one of those areas, and that's perfectly fine, you're really going to need to buckle down while you're there. Yeah. Yep. So, I guess what we're saying here is that you do have options, Clovis. Um, take advantage of low loan repayment um, situations that are offered in this in your state um, save your save your pennies um, live like a when you're a resident live like a student when you're uh, an attending live like a resident and you will pay off your uh, your student debt in no time and uh, all other things being equal so I think it's just really important to put your life into perspective and not compare yourself to your friends from undergrad who've Actually, gone out and gotten engineering jobs yeah. right off the bat where they're making $180,000. I mean, that's not you. Yeah. You're going to get through medical school. You may have some debt, but it's going to be fine in the end. That's a really good point because I think our country, our society is set up to make you compare yourself to other people. And we're getting into philosophical territory. What the <laughs> hell? Let's do it. Why not? Uh, 
I would say don't watch HGTV ever. And don't let your family <laughs> watch HGTV. I used to watch HGTV, you know, like House Hunters and stuff. That's a great show. F that. <laughs> I'm going to bleep that out. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm serious because that show, when I used to watch that network, all I wanted to do was buy stuff. <laughs> all I wanted, to, I'm like, why can't we have nice hardwood floors? Why can't we, you know, have a granite countertop? And why can't we have a 65 man. inch television and... Yeah, exactly. House Hunter is, is the worst. It's the worst. First of all, they've already bought a house by the time. Yeah, it's a fake show. The show I'll even gets started. So, you know, I think my 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 big trick, not a silver bullet, but my big trick is to, you know, destroy your television because all that TV watching, you'll just be like, oh, man, friends has a nicer apartment than I could ever afford. <laughs> and you'll want that apartment. Right. All right. Thank you, Clovis, for writing in. Thank you, Chris, for helping us uh, answer Clovis's question. Um, listeners, that's two questions we had for you today. If you want to, if you want your questions answered, you it's really easy. You can just uh, get in touch with us at theshortcoats at gmail.com or you can call us at 347-SHORT-CT. That's 347-746-7828. I think that's right. Um, and leave us a message there and we will answer your question because um, we want to do that. In the news this week, is something that sounds really boring. Good. I'm sorry. Love it sounds boring. really boring, but it's uh -huh. actually going to change how you guys do your clinical clerkships to what? a large degree. What? It's going to, and it, I don't want to build this up too much because when I, when I tell it to you, you're going to be like, this do you want boring. a drum roll or? All right. <laughs> for the first time in many years, the Center for Medicaid Services, the federal agency that pays for health care for those who can't afford private insurance, has reversed a rule that said that physicians can't use patient documentation created by medical students. Whoa! What? I know. So our Game notes changer. mean something now? Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't disappear into the void anymore? Exactly. So here's what they're talking about. Right now when a medical student in the clinic composes a note on mm -hmm. their patient mm -hmm. notes that include thing and they put it into the um the health the electronic health record yep um things like family history uh what else uh, social, uh, physical, history, social history social history exam physical exam all that kind of stuff HPI. yeah um a lot. what the students put in there isn't generally usable by the they're supervising physicians. Um, so it essentially gets discarded. Now, the, the idea is that the supervising physician will look over that note and help the student understand, you know, okay, this is a good note, this is a bad note, you know, here's yeah. how you can improve, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, but the incentive, you have to admit that the incentive to do that in a busy environment is really low. Uh, oh. to provide that feedback. Oh, there's no time? Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is even if medical students are allowed to write notes because in some services, that's I, I think that's just not a thing. Mm -hmm. Could be wrong about that. In other services, you might get an opportunity or you might be asked to do one or two notes, um, you know, during the whole rotation. Um, so, but, you know, note writing is an important part of students' medical education because one, once they graduate, immediately, yeah. when they graduate, they're going to be required to do, you know, however, but a note for every patient they see mm -hmm. as an intern um, from day one. 
Um, now that teaching physicians can use everything in a medical student's note, after, of course, having made their own observation to verify the student's finding and correct any problems, um, they don't have to repeat that documentation in order for the hospital to get paid, which means that they're going to pay closer attention to the student's note, give them feedback on the things that they needed to correct, and teaching physicians have a, so teaching physicians have a much greater incentive to review and give feedback on notes. I love it. Education improves. Transition to res residency is less uh, stressful. Um, so that sounds good. Is this a, a mandated thing? Like, does UIHC have to immediately start doing this? Or is this like a... I think there's going to be... They can decide if they want us to do that or not. I... I th my get There is a strong incentive yeah. to do this. Uh, just a strong systems incentive to do mm -hmm. this. I, it seems to me. I don't know for sure. What I do know is that it's going to take some time for systems or health systems to to make the change because there's always IT issues and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're talking about, you know, computer systems and all that kind of stuff. So Epic, for instance, will have to be, you know, permissions and all that kind of stuff will have to be rejiggered re to, to make all that work. Um, I did talk to Dean Asprey and uh, I doubt he wants me to quote um, <laughs> him on it, but he says that he hopes uh, that they, they might be able to do this by the summer. So that's cool. It won't be too long. You guys, you, yeah. you guys might have a shot at it. Um, there is on, on the flip side of that coin, what does that mean for a medical student who, you know, you're already busy, you have a lot on your plate, you're trying to learn about each of these patients yeah. in between your visits with them yeah. and studying writing, for a board writing, for studying for shelf exams. And absolutely. Does this put more on the student's plate when they maybe need to spend that time digging into their books or online learning more about that presentation from the patient that just came in or are they spending that time writing up a note for every single patient that yeah. they've seen yeah i mean gosh i don't have an answer for that one you got something yeah and what happens if uh, the student makes an error because sometimes uh, you might forget to put some they have a history of yeah. this or they smoked or something yeah I think, you know, so that one's easier to answer as far as I can tell, you know, because the, because a, a supervising physician is required to sign off on the, the note, um, that error should be caught. Is it, is there a further opportunity for a student to get in trouble for, you know, missing something obvious? Okay. Sure. I don't think trouble with a capital T. I think it's more like, hey, you missed this. Um, kind of kind of trouble. Teachable moment. Teachable moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. And I think it's important for us as students to start to get the feel of what it's like in residency to have to write notes and balance mm -hmm. these exams. And yeah. because I think some of us we can be a little naive when we come in thinking, oh, we get to spend all this time with the patients, we get to have such a great time with them. We can kind of write this note, but it doesn't mean anything. And now there's a little bit more of a pressure and we learn to how to balance our patient interaction with our paperwork. Because I hear that from physicians all the time. It's like, it's paperwork, 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 day in and day out with the way the regulations are now. Yeah. So I think it'll be good for us in the long haul. Yeah. I, as far as the, I did, um, I did ask uh, Dean Ashbury what he thought about the potential for, you know, say, um, attending or a resident being like, I don't want to write this note. You write it, student. <laughs> I've got too much to do. You do all my documentation. Um, 
you know, he, he, he's optimistic uh, about that. I think most residents and attendings, you know, actually want to be reasonable uh, educators. Um, is the possibility zero? No. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always someone. There's, but... there's, yeah. But, you know, at the same time, you know, like you start out slow seeing patients when you go to your clerkships you know they're not like yeah. they're not like okay now today welcome <laughs> to day one of we have a your full clinic. <laughs> yeah you got to see five patients in the next you know hour uh that's not how it works maybe i hopefully clerkships will take the new situation into account and say you know okay well you've really only got time to do it's day one you really only got time to talk to one mm-hmm patient or what you know so so hopefully that will that will be the case i will be super interested to see how this how this shakes out because yeah, a lot of exciting because students have been wanting this for a long time it's not just the health system you know the health systems that want this it's the students who want this they they have said to me for a long time you know like i wish what we did didn't didn't get deleted <laughs> 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 that we were actually kind of an yeah. kind of a part of this uh team <laughs> of this team yeah so it's a good thing need some validation from your work yep yep so that is our show eric tucker sanjeeva thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me you too chris thank you yeah don't forget yeah. chris yeah <laughs> well, thanks chris you know he's all right thank you listeners for making us part of your week if you like what you heard today i'm begging you it's sad really i'm begging you to leave us a review on itunes <laughs> Reviews help us come to the attention of other listeners who might benefit from our show. I mean, yeah, could happen. If you don't <laughs> like what you heard today, send us an email with some constructive feedback. Or if you have a suggestion for something we should talk about, or seek barely informed, sleep-addled advice, you can send those things to the shortcoats at gmail.com or leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT like Courtney and Clovis did for today's show. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox and our closing, closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week.